Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States. This is program number 28 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges to people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me, who are totally blind, to blind parents who have a sighted child, to sighted parents who have blind children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, Charles Binet Syndrome, what people see and how it affects their lives. Free help with home COVID tests from Ira. Taking a trip to a car show. And how to eat with chopsticks. The subject I'm asked about more than anything else when I speak to groups is Charles Binet Syndrome. Up to half of all people who have gone blind or are losing their vision experience Charles Binet Syndrome. The simplest definition of Charles Binet Syndrome was given to me by a neuro-ophthalmologist who says, when you start to lose or lose your vision, the part of your brain that interprets sight gets bored and starts creating silent images to keep busy. Since most eye doctors don't warn their patients that they might experience Charles Binet syndrome, or ask them if they're already experiencing CBS, or warn them that it's a normal part of going blind for many people. The patients frequently think they're hallucinating and are afraid to tell anyone because they'll think they're going crazy. It can also be dangerous because people who do things to avoid obstacles that aren't there, like stepping into a street to avoid trees in the middle of a sidewalk, or be stressed when it looks like a car they're riding in looks like it's about to hit trees in the middle of the road. Or they may feel like they're going to walk in the walls no matter what direction they may move. The Charles Binet Syndrome Foundation, based in Melbourne, Australia, recently did an online survey of its active members and members' caregivers to see what the most common images are and how they affect them. Scott Mirrodin, director of the Charles Binet Syndrome Foundation, says the survey is important because it's the most obvious part of research that's never been done before. Most of the 
information that we learn about people's experiences of Charles Bonnet comes via ophthalmologists, other clinicians, or researchers in the field. So I thought it would be valuable than it coming via clinicians or researchers that the people themselves could could speak. The most common reported images are animals at 41%, followed by humans or part humans at 44.4%, bright light 40.7%, landscapes 37.1%, crowds of people and cars are tied at 33.3%, plants, flowers, or trees and faces odd or distorted also tied at 29.6%, a single color like purple, and figures in old-fashioned clothing, both at 25.9%. The largest group of tied images are normal-looking faces, buildings, objects like chairs, 22.2%, insects, bugs, and spiders, 18.5%. Tied at 14.8%, Miniature figures like little people, text like words or musical notes, cartoon-like images, 11.1%, and larger-than-normal-size figures, 7.4%. Second part of the online survey focused on what was happening in people's internal world and how they felt the syndrome is affecting them. People's current emotional reaction to the syndrome, confused, startled, and scared, falls to below 15%. This is in line with the past research that shows that people's initial fears, for example, losing one's mind, tend to be reduced as they learn more about the syndrome. The current emotional reactions to people living with the CBS concerned 48%, frustrated 41%, and anxious 38%. It seems that even if their greatest fear of losing their mind has been eased, their symptoms still continue to affect their emotion. 19% found initial unusual images to be pleasant. 15% of the people still report that they're enjoying the images. This means that one in seven people living with a CBS find that their images are positive and enjoyable. When people first experienced their Charles Binet syndrome, 51% had no idea what was happening. 44% wondered if they were losing their mind. And 30% were just curious and wanted to understand it better. And 0% of the people said a medical professional had told them that they might experience the syndrome. 70% of people think that doctors and medical professionals need to be more aware of Charles Binet syndrome. And 0% of the people said a medical professional had told them that they might experience the syndrome. 
70% of people think that doctors and medical professionals need to be more aware of Charles Binet syndrome. When asked what aspect of CBS is most important to you or your loved ones, 70% said doctors and healthcare professionals need to be more aware of CBS. 56% of the people felt that receiving more helpful information with resources would be beneficial. And 48% of the people said it would be good to be given information on support groups of other people with CBS. 55% of people said that their Charles Binet syndrome has affected their sleep. 51% their TV watching. 48% said it affected their moods and outlooks to life. 44% said it's affected their balance and risk of falls and leaving their homes. And 11% say that their Charles Binet syndrome has had no negative effects on their lives. And most people living with Charles Binet syndrome said they want medical professionals to be more responsive to Charles Binet syndrome. Even though there's reassurance that CBS is not linked to losing one's mind, this survey indicates that many people living with the syndrome are still facing significant emotional and functional difficulties in everyday life. The true extent of the toll that CBS is taking on their lives and their caregiver continues to be largely unnoticed. For more information on Charles Binet Syndrome, go to charlesbinetsyndrome.org and charlesbinetsyndrome.uk, which will link you to Esme's Umbrella, the United Kingdom-based Charles Binet Syndrome support group. Binet is spelled B-O-N-N-E-T. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Ira is a subscription service that uses a camera on your smartphone to solve a multitude of problems. In addition to their paid services, they have a number of free services. One of those free services is helping blind and low vision folks with the complexities of dealing with COVID-19. Jeannie Stanley is Iris Director of Customer Communications. We are partnering with the National Federation of the Blind to give people in the United States unlimited time to do a COVID home test. Now, we also have another promo that gives people 30 minutes a day if they are outside of the United States to do anything related to COVID from going to get a vaccine to navigating the vaccine clinic to taking pictures of your vaccine card and other documentation that you might need. Go to your app store to download the IRA app. Then contact an IRA agent through the app. Your agent will guide you through the steps of taking the test, including identifying all the equipment, and then will read the results to you and can even take a photo of the results and send that to you. 
You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. What you're hearing is a Jeep being driven over obstacles. You can not only hear sounds much cooler than this, you can hear them from inside a Jeep over much bigger challenges, including up and down steep stairs and steep hills over logs, boulders, and at 30-degree angles. An amazing tactile experience. It even made me think that it might be a lot of fun to own a Jeep, even though I can't drive it. You can ride in the Jeep around their track. At most big annual auto shows, held in most big cities. I went to the annual car show in Denver, Colorado last year to see what kind of experience it would be for a blind person. It far surpassed my expectations. Even though because of COVID, it was held outside and much smaller than usual. They didn't even have any trucks, which usually are a big part of the show. I got to sit in some cool cars, including in the driver's seat. I even got to sit in an actual size replica of a Lamborghini built by physicist Sterling Backus, who's making the car that he will drive when it's completed. He's making the body parts on a 3D printer, with no parts that he makes being over a square foot. When he's finished, he'll have a car that looks just like a Lamborghini for a lot less money. Well, it's cost about $30,000 so far. I haven't checked. I haven't kept track of how much plastic, but it's effectively around $4,000 in plastic. For this specific model would be $750,000. Sterling says the car shows host them for free. He does it to get kids interested in science, technology, engineering, and math, including blind kids. And he teaches kids a lot more than just STEM sciences. He throws in some philosophy on how to learn from mistakes, which he's had his share of while building the car. Failure leads to innovation. So we have done a lot of things on this car that we didn't know what we were doing, and we failed at them. And then so we would have to go back and solve those problems. And so that is just a, a, a way of learning is you're going to have to uh, learn to fail as well. I learn from my mistakes. I absolutely will go to more car shows. And when I ride in the Jeep over their obstacle track, I'll plug my microphone into the microphone jack on my recorder instead of the earphone jack and get the sounds from inside the Jeep. Ron Kinno and Vivica Pipper helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends 
see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. If you're visiting many parts of Asia, or just eating in an Asian restaurant where you live, you may be handed chopsticks as an option the silverware, or instead of silverware. I remember when I was eating in a restaurant in Vietnam, and the waitress couldn't stop laughing when she saw that I was using my chopsticks to push food onto my fork. About a third of the world uses chopsticks. A third of the world uses silverware. And the other third eats their food in other ways. Lisa Brayman, writing for the Smithsonian Institute, reports that chopsticks were first used in China in about 400 B.C. First, to retrieve food from cooking pots. When cooking fuels became scarce, they realized that if they cut the food in the small pieces, it requires less fuel and cooks faster. It's also healthier because you can't just shovel the food down. Instead, you eat less and taste each piece of food. That's if you learn how to use the chopsticks. Harriet Goh's grandparents were born in China. They moved to a Chinatown in the Philippines where Harriet's parents were born, then moved to the United States where Harriet was born. Harriet, who is blind, is an elementary teacher in Philadelphia. Harriet usually uses silverware, but on special occasions she does use chopsticks. She says take the first chopstick and put it between your forefinger and thumb, resting it on your ring finger. Then place the top chopstick between your thumb and forefinger. You typically use your first three fingers, the thumb, the pointer finger, and the middle finger. And the, there's two sticks. That's the middle finger and the pointer finger is positioned in such a way that you're kind of pinching the bottom stick. And then your thumb rests on top of the the stick that's on top and then you move it in such a way that it's almost like you're cutting with scissors but instead of cutting something you're picking up something so it's like imagine if you're using scissors but just not closing them all the way and instead of tearing something apart you're you're in a way putting something together because you're putting the two sticks together so that they can pick up something that wasn't there so it's kind of like a pinch slash scissor kind of motion. That motion was always a little bit tricky. I mean, some foods are easier to pick up than other foods, like noodles or meat or vegetables. Rice is hard to pick up unless it's like little balls of rice and, you know, clumps of rice. If the food's in a bowl, people usually hold the bowl close to their mouth. Harriet says eating with chopsticks when you're blind takes some extra steps. Sighted people, they'll pick up the chopsticks and then they'll just start eating. However, because I'm blind, I use the chopsticks first to kind of feel where certain foods are on my plate, where the rice is and where where the, the meat or the noodles or the vegetables are. Generally, Asian foods are served family style, so I get to 
customize where I put the food. So it's not already plated for me. I can come and say, all right, here's, here's the beef or here's the broccoli, here's the chicken. And then I will be the one to scoop it or pick it up with my chopsticks and put it on my plate. And that, that's very, very helpful to do that because, A, it lets me know specifically where I put each food item. EverythingChopsticks.com has a handy guide to good chopsticks etiquette. The 10 most important rules of good chopsticks etiquette include don't leave your chopsticks vertically in food. That is associated with death. Don't eat directly from the serving dishes. Don't stick a piece of food with your chopsticks. Accept the challenge and pick up the piece of food instead. Don't play with your chopsticks or use them like drumsticks on your plate. Make noise or wave them in the air. Don't use your personal chopsticks to get food from a serving dish. Use serving chopsticks instead. Don't use your chopsticks to push around dishes on the table. Don't sort through food in the serving dish. Don't place your chopsticks directly on the table. Put them across your dish or on a chopstick rest. Don't hold your chopsticks in your mouth with no hands, such as when you're passing a dish. Don't point your chopsticks at other people around the table. Learning to use chopsticks is a new skill that may require using your fingers differently than you're used to. So Harriet says, be patient. I think the best thing about chopsticks is just the ability to learn something new and try something different. I guarantee it'll be difficult for most people in the beginning, but if you keep working at it, it, it does get easier. And besides all that, it's just fun. It's just fun to try it out and use a new way of eating and just explore and expand your experiences, just expand your experiences and outlook on different different things that, you know, things can be eaten different ways and using different utensils and just broadening that experience. So even if it doesn't stick or if it's something that you end up not using, it's just fun to know, have that experience to add to your collection of knowledge and, and memories and something that you can also share with other people is the experience that you had eating food with chopsticks. So give it a try and you'll never know if you like it or not until you actually try it firsthand. Trish Monder helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. 
send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line at thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the Tactile Traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts and by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people who helped make today's program possible. Be My Eyes, Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support. Apple Accessibility Tech Support. Leslie Steffens. Dan Welch. Lorraine Hutchinson. Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, and Debbie O'Leary, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blinds and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado. Music